Matthew chapter 13. We're going through the book of Matthew, and here in chapter 13, we see the parables of the kingdom. The message is entitled, Influence and Harvest. These three parables are all about influence, the evil influence of Satan in the world, and the influence of the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, that the flock might be fed, that every one of our hearts would be challenged. And Lord, if there are some here that are outside your grace, they don't know you as their own personal Savior, that the day you would draw them to yourself, they would trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we looked last week at the parable of the sower and the seed. And I think the Lord is giving these parables not only so that people will say, I don't know what he meant by that. I'm going to go ask him and find out. But I think in particular, it's information for the disciples. Later, when they get the Holy Spirit, they're going to go, oh, I see what's going on here. And he said, the sower goes out to sow. And what's the powerful seed? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the point is, not everybody that hears the gospel is going to get saved. In fact, three out of the four of the soils are not good soil. It doesn't produce life. Now, you and I cannot talk anybody into getting saved. That's God's business. God gets all the glory for salvation. But he's called every one of us to be a part of what's going on in sharing the gospel. God's the one that prepares the hearts. We don't think up the gospel. Don't make up a gospel that is convenient for people or you think might com- people might be comfortable to hear. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came to earth. He was the so- very son of God, God, very God, and yet 100% man, born of a virgin. He grew up, lived a perfect life, and then he gave his life on the cross for the sins of the world. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, Paul says, just in case you've forgotten the gospel, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. We're going to go on a little bit to think, well, that doesn't seem that, that significant. That's what God uses to bring people to himself. So our opportunity is not to try to talk people into a good doctrinal statement, but just share the gospel with them. Now, I think he told the disciples that so they didn't have to run around thinking, wow, I think I could have done a better job. I think we ought to know the word of God. I think we ought to be sensitive to opportunity. But God's the only one that saves people. And he is always proficient in everyone he sets his affection upon. Now, some would say, oh, well, then whoever's going to get saved, going to get saved. Whoever's lost, going to be lost. No, that's not our business. Our business is to be about what the Father is about. The joy of seeing new life. I've thought what an amazing thing would be to go back and see the videos of creation, right? To see God speak light into darkness and that explosion that took place. He invented light before he invented the light bearers. And then he said to the earth, let it bring forth vegetation. And then the animals and the way that happens, what an amazing thing. Well, the Bible says it's the same thing every time someone comes to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Just as God spoke light into darkness, he has spoken into our heart. 
That's how you came to Christ. You may have grown up in church, hearing the gospel all the time, and then one day, God said, it's time to come. And you realized that you were lost. And you needed a savior. That's God's business. So we as believers, we have a burden for the lost, right? We have a burden. God puts a burden on our heart, so we begin to pray for someone. And as we're praying, we look for opportunity to share the gospel. But if we've been faithful in sharing and they reject the gospel... You don't have to feel bad about that. That wasn't you. That was God not working in their heart or them re- rejecting, them rejecting the light that they had. People have a free will. They can reject the gospel if they want to. And I think three out of four of the soils were bad, and he gives reasons why people eventually, there's no root in themselves, the cares of this world choke it out. Satan comes and steals the word away, and so they don't think about it again. And he comes next to the influence. What about the world we live in? How come God just lets evil continue? Thought about that? That's what this one's about. Verse 24, Jesus presented another table to, parable to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? He said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow them both to go together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles. Burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now later, they're going to ask him to explain that. But at first glance, and he's going to tell, the Lord's going to tell us this, the field is the world. I wonder, why, why does God allow this to go on? It's because of his patience. Enemies used to do this, to ruin a harvest. You know, maybe it was a bad neighbor or even an enemy of a, an opposing country. They would go in and sow tares to ruin the crop. It was common enough that Rome had a law about it and against it. That's the kind of this Darnell weed that grows up that until the wheat begins to form the, the head of wheat, they look the same. We can't tell if somebody's going to come to Christ or not. And so he said, you know, deciding and judging is not our business. We just speak the truth in love. Now, the disciples thought that they ought to, remember James and John, the sons of thunder? They saw some Samaritans and they said, oh, we should probably just call down thunder and lightning on them. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. And he said, here, we don't want to tear up the tares because we might tear up some wheat because until that wheat has matured, it looks the same. And you might tear up and destroy something else. Every time the church has tried to get involved in judgment, whether it was the Reformation or the Catholic Church and the Great Inquisitions, it's been a mess. God has not called the church to judgment. That's his job, not our job. That's what he already said in the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not that you be not judged. So I don't think that guy will ever come to Christ. You don't know that. You may look at a person and think, well, the Bible does say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to be saved. But Jesus said, with men it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And we become judges with evil intention if we look at a person and say, well, that person, they've been on drugs, they're so evil and wicked, they'll never wake up 
to see their lost condition or a person that's an up and outer and we say well they've just got everything going for them and they don't have time for the lord they'll never get saved not your business don't be a judge with evil intentions you just share the gospel but this is about the patience and the long suffering of god think one why didn't god why did god just you know wipe pharaoh out he gave him time after time 10 plagues and every time pharaoh repented he said oh okay all right you guys can go out and as soon as the plague was gone he changed his mind and what happened through god's long suffering and mercy his heart was hardened because every time he had an opportunity he thought well no the pressure's off i've got a little more time i think pharaoh bought into that silly notion that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger if you've lasted this long obviously you're just going to keep going and Paul answers that. What if God, in his long-suffering mercy, endured those vessels of wrath? Gave them every opportunity to be saved. And so God doesn't just go around and tear up all the lost people and the wicked people. He's got a plan. He's going to bring things to conclusion. One day there's going to be a harvest. There's a harvest coming. And after that harvest, there'll be no going back. Then he shared another parable with them. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, I think the, the, the disciples probably got this one. They don't ask to have this one explained. Now, some have said, oh, that just shows the Bible's not accurate because there are seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed. True. But when Jesus uses, he's talking about garden plants that you plant to eat or use for seasoning. So when he uses the Greek word sperma or seed, it's just talking about seeds that you sow in the garden, not every seed created. But that's not the point. The point is, when you look at this mustard seed, it's so small and insignificant. Later, Jesus said, if you have faith, of the grain of a mustard seed. You'll say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will happen. So he's just making an illustration that when you look at a mustard seed, it seems insignificant. What's there? When Jesus left this earth, after all the miracles he'd done, all the masses of people that had been ministered to, he left 120. That's not even a big church, is it? 120. And I think he ministered this to the disciples that they not lose hope. The world looks at it and says, oh, that little church, they're going to be squashed. They'll be wiped out. But God used that 120 that were scattered, and some went up to Antioch, and eventually world missions began in Antioch. And they talked about the apostles, those that came and turned the world upside down. The world discounts the gospel. It discounts the kingdom of God as that which is not important. It's just not, not even visible. It's small and seemly insignificant, but one day will grow into a large body of believers. You know what? We can look at the, when Jesus said, the way is narrow and few there be that find it, and think, well, not many will be in heaven. Spurgeon had something to say about that. And I kind of like what he said. You may disagree with him. That's okay. It's not scripture. He says this. Some narrow-minded bigots think that heaven will be a very small place where there'll be a very few people 
who went to their chapel or to their church, I confess I have no wish for a very small heaven. And I love to read the scriptures that there are many mansions in my father's house. How often do I hear people say, aha, straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Few there be that find it. There will be very few in heaven. There will be most lost. My friend, I differ from you. Do, not, do you not think that Christ will beat the devil? That he will let the devil have more in hell than there will be in heaven? No, it's impossible. For then Satan would laugh at Christ. There will be more in heaven than there will be among the lost. God says there will be a number that no man can number who will be saved. They will come from the east and from the west. Isn't that amazing to think about that? That in the end, Jesus is going to win. And maybe you've thought, well, maybe there's no room in heaven. There's lots of room. There's an old gospel song. There's room at the cross for you. Though many have come, there is still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. People look at the church. They look at the gospel and say, that's not important. And I think that's why so many even professing believers have turned aside to another gospel. We have to do something that people will like. They discount the gospel. You see, the gospel, salvation, is supernatural. The world doesn't see the significance of just sharing that Jesus died on the cross for sin and then was buried and then rose again the third day. Well, what's in that? That's the gospel. But it's powerful, and over and over we see people as we share it, their lives are transformed by the light of Jesus Christ. It's a miracle. You don't have to change it. If you try to change it and make it more palatable to lost people, you corrupt it. It's no longer the gospel anymore. But if you share it, you'll be part of seeing somebody come from darkness to light, and there's no explanation but God. But God. I love that phrase in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace he is saved through faith. Well, it proceeds by saying, all of these people are lost in their trespasses and sins, and the, the Satan is the prince and the power of the air, but God. But God. With that great love with which he loved them. Don't discount the gospel. Don't discount the effect of the kingdom. One day the kingdom's going to grow and it's going to fill the whole earth. Now some people will say the birds. I grew up hearing that the birds are always evil. It's evil in the first part. They take seed away. Therefore the evil here. That's fine. But I don't think that's the point of the parable. When Nebuchadnezzar had his dream and God was reaching down to save Nebuchadnezzar, that, that wicked, ruthless king. Remember he had had a dream that Daniel interpreted and he was the head of gold, the great kingdom, the greatest kingdom of the earth. And so what he did, and instead of worshiping the, the, the God that created him and gave him the kingdom, he thought, let's worship me. And so he created this great big statue. And so God said, okay, I'm going to give him a dream. And he loved Daniel and the, the wise young believers that were there around him. And so Daniel, he has another dream that this great tree is, is growing and all the beasts of the field find shelter on this tree and the birds of the air come and they build their nests. See, it's a place of shelter. It's a good thing. And I think that's the point of the parable. This insignificant little seed becomes a tree. And wherever the, the gospel and the kingdom of God takes root, it blesses those people, that culture, and those nations that honor it. It's a place of shelter and a place of safety. Then he has another parable. He spoke another parable, verse 33. 
The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three pecks of flour, in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. That's about a bushel. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables and did not speak to them without parables. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Leaven. People would say, well, leaven is a picture of sin. That's true. It is a picture of sin and how pervasive sin can be. But the point of this parable isn't that the leaven is wicked that God puts into the, into the that this woman puts into the, the bread to make the bread. It's talking about the per- pervasive, hidden power of the gospel and of the kingdom. What happened when Paul was chained? He went as a prisoner to Rome. They chained him to guard. What happened? That guard became a believer. And pretty soon the whole palace was filled with the gospel. What seemed like insignificance to the world was this prisoner Paul. The leaven was hidden and it affected everything around them. The world discounts and people we might say, well, you know, we're just not much. That's true. We are not much. The kingdom of God doesn't look like much. The gospel just seems insignificant and there's so many people that are against it. But we are convinced because we believe the word of God that the leaven of the gospel is powerful. Now, the leaven isn't put outside. It's put inside the flour and inside the dough. And it affects everything there. We are to be in the world, not of the world. But we have to be in the world. We have to be there to have an influence. So there are, through the the ages, like the Essenes, they went apart. They want to be touched with ungodly people, and so they went apart. I think that happened in this nation also. When in the South, where the big Christian school movement began, they were going to force busing, and they're going to put black children in white white schools and put white children in black schools, and a lot of Christian uh, white people said, that's not going to happen. We're going to start a Christian school. Not a great way to start a Christian school, but these big Christian schools popped up all over the place. And later, for different reasons, because the school system was, you know, probably being corrupted, they popped up everywhere. So everybody pulled their kids out of the public school and said, we're going to raise up a generation of godly people. And what they did was just raise up a generation of people, because we can see the, the most of the big effect of that, that just know how to hide out in culture and not make any difference. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to do homeschool or do Christian school. There may come a time when you need to do that. But the purpose is not to get out of the culture because we're the light of the world. We're the only thing that can make a difference in life. So if we don't build relationships, we don't know lost people, how will they hear the gospel? Oh, by evangelistic meetings. Let me ask you, are you going to go to a church that just show up your door and say, hey, come to our church? I'm not. But if you build a relationship with someone and they're your friend and say, would you, I'd like to share something with you. And they share the gospel with you. God's given us the power of the gospel. And he wants us in culture to make a difference just like salt. It preserves, but it has this pervasive effect that changes So then he comes down and he explains the tares. They leave the crowds that went back into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tailors of the field. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. 
Some have taken this and said, well, that's the mixed multitude in the church. No, he says very clearly, the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. So you have Satan is the enemy of the saint. And he is the prince of the power of the air and he is a huge influence today, isn't he? Now, it's not just the devil's fault. What's going to happen after the tribulation is Satan's going to be thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Only believers go into the thousand-year reign of Christ. We, as in our supernatural bodies that have been resurrected, will come back and will rule and reign with Christ. And so it will be these humans, all Christians that go into the millennial reign, perfect environment. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The child will play at the hole of the asp, snake, and they will not do any harm in all my kingdom. So perfect environment, perfect government, and yet at the end of the thousand years, there will be like the sands of the sea, rebellion. Satan will be loosed in one last battle. What does that show you? That shows you the ultimate wicked, rebellious heart of the natural man. He can have perfect government, he can have perfect environment, all of his needs provided, perfect weather. And unless there's a supernatural change in his life and he receives Christ as a savior, he will hate God. He'll hate him. And the influence of Satan is amazing because when you take Satan out of the influence, you have peace in the world for a thousand years. But you add him back into the rebellious hearts of man, you have war again. So that we might understand the natural man is at enmity with God. He's always like the troubled sea, throwing up mire and dirt. He cannot have peace. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So Satan has his influence, but Jesus said, there's a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming. And one day he will send his angels, they're the harvesters, and they will separate the sheep from the goats, the tare from the wheat. They know the difference. God is so good, he will not lose one of his own. But if you haven't trusted Christ, not one will escape either. He will gather his own to glory. The Bible says we will shine as the firmament forever and ever. But the lost will go to hell where there's outer darkness. Now, I don't know what you think about hell. But Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven because he wanted to warn people don't go there. It's outer darkness. So if you think, I'm going to go to hell and I'll do the things that people like doing in hell, like drink beer and smoke and just have a party. No, that's not hell at all. And the Christians go to heaven, they do boring stuff that I don't like to do. No, Jesus said that hell is outer darkness. You'll never see anybody else again. All you'll do is hear their cries of torment. He said the fire does not die, never goes out, and the worm does not die. Your life will be there. You will have a supernatural body for destruction in hell if you reject Jesus Christ. So there is that warning You have this life to choose. And harvest is coming. Judgment is coming. So there's the influence of the world. It seems overwhelming. But Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. 
greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Even though it seems overwhelming, one day the kingdom of God is going to fill up this earth. Read the end of the book. Jesus wins. That is our hope. That is our sure reward. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We're so thankful that you gave us your word. Then you gave us the Holy Spirit that we might understand your word. Oh, Lord, you've given us the gospel. What a powerful gift. The opportunity that we have to see others come to Christ. And we're part of a kingdom that will never die. Lord, I pray again, if there are any here that are not a part of your your body, the church today, they've never received Jesus Christ as their Savior never surrendered to the claims of the gospel, that today you would draw them to yourself and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.